Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can contact us at info at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. Again on the podcast is our producer, Matt Kelly. We had a cancellation the day we were supposed to record, and Matt said, give me five minutes and I can give you a full episode on New Radicals. And boy, did he. We get into why Matt thinks the New Radicals' only album is one of the greatest records of all time, as well as why You Get What You Give is one of the greatest pop songs ever composed. Royalties forever. 
Okay, Matt, so we're going to talk about the new Radicals, You Get What You Give, without a net. We don't even have notes on this. We didn't even need notes on it because you are probably the new Radicals' biggest fan. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm their biggest fan, but I think that the new Radicals are one of those rare groups that is a one-hit wonder because the lead singer wanted them to be a one-hit wonder. Their album, the album that this song is on, is the only album that was ever released by the new Radicals. Uh, It was ranked on a bunch of lists as like one of the greatest albums of all time. It's on like the 1001 albums you should listen to before you die. Really? Yeah. But immediately after the single blew up, the lead singer decided that he didn't really want to front a band and just wanted to be a professional songwriter and broke up the band. Okay. So there was never any follow up singles or anything. It was this came out and then the band broke up. My experience was I always knew the song. I liked the song and had that little catchy rap where he, you know, throws some insults at Beck and Hanson. But I found them through Scrubs. A lot of the other songs from that album appeared as like closing credit songs in episodes of Scrubs. Like there's a song called uh, Mother Just Can't Get Enough. And just like the opening guitar riff of that song... this should be the biggest song in the world. Why have I never heard this before? <laughs> so like it made me dig into the rest of their, their 12 songs that they put out and it's really, really good. Wow. I didn't like this song at all when it was out. I found it annoying. And now when I hear it, I'm like, Oh, it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. I, I didn't like it at all when it came out then. I remember it being out. I remember the guy's stupid hat in the music video. I remember a lot of things about it, but I just didn't dig it. But now I think it's pretty good. I'm going to say one further than that. You know, we've had past episodes where we talked about like Duncan Sheik, where we talked about how that's like the greatest one hit wonder of all time. And I think that the song You Get What You Give is a perfect pop song. Hmm. I think that it's one of those songs where when I listen to it, every instrument is putting in 100%. Like it's got a really catchy piano hook. It's got a driving bass line. It's got a, just the drum beat is like, like everything is like playing at the exact right power. The guitar solo is perfect. Like the, the lyrics are way cooler than you would imagine when you're just like kind of listening to it. The rap, the infamous rap was actually a, a social experiment that the lead singer had put together. You had told me about this before and uh, it was something I never thought about before. And then you told me the story of it and actually made me like, probably what I didn't like about the song was it, it was like this list of artists and bands where it just felt dumb, like a dumb rap part in a song or yeah. something. But, but when you explain it to me what it was, then it sort of, Completely changed my opinion of it. Yeah. So the so the the full rap is health insurance rip off flying FDA and big bankers buying fake computer crashes dining 
cloning while they're multiplying, the fashion shows with Beck and Hanson, Courtney Love and Marilyn Manson, they're all fakes, run to the mansion, come around, we'll kick your ass in. But according to Greg Alexander, lead singer, he had written this section of the song as a test. He wanted to see whether the media would focus on the important political issues that he was talking about in the first part or just focus on the celebrity dissing. Right. And that's all anybody ever talked about in that part was he threw some shade at at Courtney Love and Marilyn Manson. Right. Okay. Well, that's a testament to what I thought about. It's not that I cared that he was saying anything about those people. It was more just like... Uh, you're just naming these people that are on the radio or whatever, and I wasn't feeling it. But I didn't know what the... The part before it is. I didn't it, even know what it, he said there. I think that the opening line is one of my favorite opening lines of any song. And I think about it a lot. It's, wake up kids, because we've got the dreamer's disease. Uh-huh. There's certain song lyrics where I think that there's so much that you can analyze just about. like that. Like I just think that line, we've got a dreamer's disease, is a fucking awesome way to just say like we're a generation of dreamers and that's kind of a crazy concept you and i and hopefully kids still today have that sort of dreamers disease of way of looking at things i watched i sent it to you yeah a 2016 documentary called hypernormalism it was made by the bbc and it's worth the watch it's long but it's Did worth you watch every it? second oh yeah I watched all three hours. Okay, yeah. And I thought it was interesting how they talked about how in America, we grew up like, yeah, dream big, be what you ever you want to be. And they talked about how in Russia, that that was not a thing. Like you didn't think that way. You didn't think that like you could follow your wildest dreams and and accomplish your goals and be whatever you want to be. That wasn't something you were taught as a kid. So I think that kind of relates to this yeah you know we in america we all have the dreamers disease i think that this is a, a fun little element that we do sometimes on the show sometimes we don't but sitting down and doing like a lyrical breakdown i think most people it's kind of one of the songs you're just like da, 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 da. like you don't know the words you just kind of like mumble along right. with the melody so it's wake up kids we got the dreamers disease age 14 they get you down on your knees so polite and we're busy still saying please that's like some heavy ass shit right there to me like you and i have just talked about that in the sense of like like, I like that that rhyme scheme of they get you down on your knees, which is never a good thing, but we're so polite, we're still saying please. Like, there's that aspect of it all ties into that same thing with the dreamer's disease. Like, there's this desire to to succeed, but you want to be, like, a good person, and sometimes you, like, allow people to treat you like shit, and you kind of have that please, sir, can I have another attitude towards it because you're too afraid to, like stand up for yourself right and you and i are both those kind of people (laughs) we've talked about that a little bit today but honestly in a time we're living in now don't you think that if that's what he's getting at with these lyrics that being polite is maybe a good thing that people are starting to not be so much yeah no it's definitely (laughs) something that's going away (laughs) yeah which isn't so great I think that being polite is great. And I think there's definitely situations and people that don't deserve politeness. But I think anytime someone has an attitude that they're better than everyone else, that's not a good thing. No, no, not at all. I want to jump to the second verse. Okay. Because I want I want to think about the verses first, and then we're going to focus on the chorus. Okay. Because I think the chorus is where the song really succeeds. So the second verse, it's 4 a.m. We ran a miracle mile. We're flat broke, but we're doing it in style, which 
I also really like that line. We're flat broke, but we're doing it in style, <laughs> which is sometimes you don't got money, but you know how to make it look good, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but now we get to the chorus. And what it leads into is when the night is falling and you cannot find a friend, you feel your tree is breaking, but then just then you get the music in you. You don't let go. You've got that music in you. One dance left because this world is going to pull through. Don't give up because you've got a reason to live. You can't forget. We only get what we give. So the way that I've always analyzed this song and even with the bridge is that to me, this song is like a tribute to how much music pulls people out of shitty fucked up situations where like we've talked about this a million times where you are at your lowest, but you've got that song that if you put that song on, it gives you that second wind like that one dance left. This world's going to pull through to me is you're getting a second wind. You're back up. You're ready to fight. You're going to go places. Right. I like that sentiment. That's (laughs) really good. You and I both huge music fans obviously. And of course, music has helped me other than the people close to me in my life. I I wouldn't say music helped me more than the people I'm close to in my life, but very close behind music is the thing that has helped me the most at my lowest. And so I like the sentiment of the song. What I would question (laughs) if I have to be a naysayer a little bit is songs about music (laughs) is writing a song about music too meta is it too like it's sometimes i think it's definitely a thing that could be considered meta a little too much okay that being said yeah i I agree with it's a nice sentiment to the song a song celebrating itself (laughs) yeah it's such an interest that whole album is a very interesting album and the name maybe you've been brainwashed too it's a thing where it's like i i dance between that line of like feeling like it's really cool and also feeling like it's a little too much biting the hand that feeds you in the sense that like the album is a very poppy arena rock esh type album that's about the evils of the music corporation, which is like the song. Maybe this, uh, maybe you've been brainwashed too, is literally just noise rock for five minutes. Like he has no lyrics in it. He's just rambling and yelling stuff as the entire track. The whole point is that like, if you look at the lyric books, it's like just a long manifesto about like the evils of like selling your soul to a music corporation. Wow. <laughs> like it's a weird trippy ass album. With him just sitting on the cover with his stupid floppy hat that he was wearing in the music video. Yeah, I guess <laughs> what I wasn't feeling so much, or maybe I thought that this, you get what you give. I always thought it was a very sarcastic song. You're getting a message of, a very positive message out of it. Yeah. And what I took from it, not really ever breaking down the lyrics or anything the way you have, I always took away a very sarcastic tone and it kind of lends itself to your point about, yeah, this, is it a band or is it just a guy? It's mostly just a guy who did all of it. And then he formed a band and then was like, I'd rather write songs. And he did actually have, I'm trying to find like a list of everything he wrote, but I know that he was a pretty successful songwriter. Uh, but the biggest thing for him was he did win a Grammy. Uh, he wrote the song Game of Love for Michelle Branch Dude! and Santana. Dude, <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. 
I feel like wow. that's like a common theme with this show is that these guys go on to like be really prolific songwriters with Grammys or producers. I love that song. That song's probably one of the best Michelle Branch songs. And she's got a lot of bangers, but I love that song. Well, both of the songs of Mich- Michelle Branch and Santana are another dynamic duo, which we've talked about yeah. before on here. Like put Drake and Rihanna together, put Ben Folds and Regina Spector together, put these people together. They're always going to make something awesome. Michelle Branch and Santana are unstoppable because they also had, yeah, I'm trying to remember what the other one is. Oh, I'm feeling you. I'm feeling, okay. I was like, I know that there's another which one. Which I actually like, I'm feeling you even a little bit more, but the game of love is a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Oh, oh so what good. A jam. And now that you, now when you tell me that the guy who wrote, you get what you give also wrote that. I, <laughs> yeah. Didn't you come around no more? Yeah. That's so, that's so him. Yeah. That's so like, I can totally see that guy who wrote, you get what you give writing those melodies. Wow, dude, that's awesome. So he wrote a song that I don't. This doesn't really count. It was covered by covered by Mandy Moore and Hollow Notes, which is an incredible duo. Was what would have been their second single called "Someday We'll Know," uh, which was made famous because it was uh, sung by Mandy Moore on the "Walk to Remember" soundtrack. Wow. This, this is one of those albums where I listen to it very often. I listen to it regularly. There's, I can say maybe five or six songs where I'm like, these songs stand out so much on this record. And like, it is a travesty that people probably either just bought the single because 1998 was definitely prime buying the single era of, uh, you know, grabbing. I, I may have had this on Kiss Single at one point, I'm sure, because I was, I was a bigger Kiss Single than CD Single. You were still buying cassettes in 1998. Yeah, sometimes. Jeez, I stopped buying cassettes in 90. <laughs> <laughs> but the like, there's a song. Uh, the I think it's the. I'm pretty sure it's the closing track. Is called "Crying Like a Church on Monday." It's just a breakup song. But the the analogy is, uh, you've got me crying like a church on Monday, wondering if anyone will come back again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was like, I never in a million years would have thought of the analogy of like, oh yeah, everyone goes to church on Sunday, but it probably the church is really bummed that no one's there Monday morning. Like if it was like a sentient being that yeah, had feelings. Can, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> like just weird, dumb, trippy stuff like that. Just like the whole record that it's such a seventies like want to be. And I think that that's why I, I do really believe that this song is one of the best pop singles that's ever been written. And I'll, I'll die on that hill. I'm happy to die on that hill because I, I love, I've noticed in my years, I love me a good driving piano part. Yeah. You know, yeah. we talked about closing time. Same thing. It's just a do, 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 like that piano piece. The song that got me into punchline was very piano driven. Ben folds is like top musician. One of the top musicians for me. You, you put a good piano riff into a song, Matt Kelly's there. Yeah, and I'm I feel the same way. I love the piano. I think it's 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. I, I wish I would have stuck with piano lessons as a kid. It's my favorite way to hear a song, especially stripped down. Yeah. Piano in the mix, like the way that Ben Folds Five did it, or 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 Elton John does it. That's great, but but this one's just a driving riff, like. But I, I just I think the production on this is we've talked about before. Like you listen to songs, or maybe I'm quoting something from Krista Makes to be honest. But sometimes you listen to songs and you can hear the product, the extra attention to production that was put into it because they knew that this was going to be sent to the radio stations. Oh yeah. I've talked about on, on here. I talked about on the, the blind melon episode that when you listen to the album, no rain just seems to sound a lot more produced, a lot bigger than the rest of the songs. And I don't know. And I think that's probably intentional for sure. I I think that they knew what they had, but right. I, I think when I listen, like I'm not a musician, but certain times I will listen to songs and like this is one of those songs I think was one of the first times where I was listening to a song and I was really thinking man there's a lot of moving pieces in this mm-hmm. like there's a lot of moving pieces in this song because <laughs> for a long time especially growing up on like punk music as a kid it's like yeah you plug in the guitar you play your three chords and you get out of there and you don't really think about like layering in like a guitar putting in like kind of an ambient sound in the background or like a piano riff or like is the drums doing more than just literally bass snare and and hi-hat to like drive the song quickly and this was one of those songs that even when I was at the peak of like listening to punk music and listening to grunge music you've talked about how there's occasionally songs that kind of break through the the wall that you build for yourself and this was absolutely one of those songs where like I remember this was, I was still not old enough to drive. So uh, this was a frequent me and friends riding bicycles with like a speaker on our bikes to keep tunes playing while we were riding our bikes. And this was, this was big on the bicycles. 
Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. You had a, a musical bicycle crew. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was nice. a crew of three of us that kept saying we were going to form a band, but first we had to learn instruments. Right. And we never <laughs> we never finished step one, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing ever came from it. The thing that's kind of interesting about pop music, you're saying this is like one of the greatest pop songs. Are you saying greatest pop songs or greatest pop one-hit wonders? or, or what's? I'm saying pop songs. I'm saying even removing one-hit wonder from the equation, like probably the only downside to the fact that we are just diving into this without a net is that you haven't had a chance to really refresh the song in your head to listen to it from that analytical side. Mm -hmm. We pause recording for a quick second just so I could play the intro for Chris. And you hear what I'm talking about? There's like 14 different things happening in the first like five minutes. It's great. (laughs) It's it's great. It is is really, really good. Once again, I've talked about this so many times, but when it came out, I was too cool for probably too cool for it in my own head. But now I look back, I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. it's, (laughs) It's a great song. And the criticism probably, and I feel like this was my own, criticism of it and the way I thought as a young idiot (laughs) is that pop music is just like this very simple, basic thing and that anybody can do that. And, and that's the attitude like, Oh, anybody could write that sort of, well, the fact of the matter is set out to write something. Yeah. That is a pop gem, a pop hit. Pause the podcast right now and take a few minutes and try to do that. Try to write something that is so catchy and you'll, you'll discover it's not quite as easy it's like, as you think it is. <laughs> well, and like, again, to, to bounce just to like the beginning of that, right. like I can't help but think about, and I have no experience in this, so I need you to give me your own perspective on it from your experience in recording studios. I firmly believe that that first 30 seconds of that song as like all of these elements are falling into place wasn't written like that. I think he had an idea of like, this is the, this is the song and it starts with this guitar part. And then as he's working on that in the studio, he's like, well, what if, what if we have a little bit of like an ambient guitar plan? What if we just have like a simple drum beat for a couple seconds? And what if we just put like a, like, and just all of these pieces falling together. And then all of a sudden it's like, and it's just going to, be these weird noises that build to this explosion that is the full band like hitting the stage essentially. Right. Has Punchline ever had something like, like have you ever had a song where like you had like the basic structure of like this is how the song starts, this is like the verse, this is the chorus, but then as you're like recording it, you're like, you know what? Like I think we can fuck around with the the beginning of this to like give it a little bit more of a build into that first moment where the song kicks off absolutely (laughs) every i i I like to think that in one way or another every song which i mean a lot of that stuff might be sorted out in the writing and the practice space but yeah once you get into a recording studio you're thinking about that stuff all the time how to make an impact when the song when the song hits you yeah (laughs) you know and and that's definitely an an important thing and you want to grab people's attention right off the bat especially now more than ever people have short attention spans and have access to all the music in the world they're not committed to a cd to like see it out yeah (laughs) so yeah yeah for sure man it's i remember um my friends were in a band that was always like they never blew up but they were this band racing kites that like played warp tours and bamboozles but they never got a record label they never really blew up as big as they could have 
And I remember when they were recording their first EP, which I feel like if you're like, I'm doing that, I want to do this as a profession, that first EP, you're putting a lot of thought into mm-hmm. it. And I happened to find my copy of it. And I was like, oh, I'll listen to this on my drive to, to Pittsburgh. So I popped in the CD and I was flooded with all these memories of like hearing the original demos of four of the six songs that ended up on the EP and realizing the little things that they changed to make it pop just a little bit. And I remember like one was like one of the songs had like a guitar riff that played for a couple seconds and then stopped. And then the whole band kicked in Mm -hmm. and like on the actual album, the guitar riff plays for a couple seconds and it does a do noise instead. Like it was like little things like that where I'm like, man, I know that that happened in the studio. There was never a point in my friendship with them where they're like, yeah, the music's going to come into this weird, like do noise. Like, yeah. I mean, of course you have production elements and that's, <laughs> it seems like this, you, you get what you give song. It, it's got so much production. <laughs> yeah. So, so much over the top stuff. Every, every element of this is, it is over the top. Everything about it, that, that lead that kicks in when it starts and that, yeah, the piano, the drum beat, the, the memorable lyrics, everything about this song is really over the top. It for sure. Nothing subtle about this song. There's nothing subtle about it. And I think that that's what makes it so great because like you said, like, yeah, there's this terrible misconception that like writing pop music is easy, which is like, as you've already said, the most incorrect sentence, a human has ever uttered and all it takes is like five minutes of picking up a guitar and deciding you're going to write a hit song to figure out how hard it is to write a hit song. Right. But like, I love that he wrote a hit song. He probably knew he wrote a hit song. The record label probably knew he hit a hit wrote a hit song because they wanted to make sure that this song sounded as perfect as possible. And what could have just been a song that kicks right in he was like, well, I want to do a bunch of weird shit right before the song actually starts. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty undeniable. Yeah, the buildup at the beginning, you paused our recording and played me it on your <laughs> through your phone just as a reminder. And and yeah, that buildup at the beginning is great. And when that kicks in, that's a that feels good. And I, I can't imagine being in the studio recording that, listening it, listening to it back on studio speakers, which for anyone who's listening who doesn't, play in a band or has any point at any point recorded in a recording studio. When you hear a mix back in studio speakers for the first time, it is like the best sounding thing ever, <laughs> especially if it's early in, in, well, no, it's, it's always, I was going to say early in your musical career. Or nah, whatever, I think you're but still it's excited. Always, <laughs> yeah. It's always when you first hear a, at least a, a, a rough mix back for the first time with everything in it, with all the elements plugged in and you're hearing it back and you're hearing what, what was once just an idea yeah, on a guitar or a piano or whatever it is that turned into an all out production. That's like a, a magical moment. And when you listen to, you get what you give, you could tell that that moment when that kicked in after that intro, when they heard that back in the studio speakers, they were probably like, oh, yeah. So I don't know if New Radicals, because they did break up so quickly. I don't know if they ever even played a live show. Like for all I know, they were like a, a studio band that like never went anywhere in, and never played a single live event. But that song is one of the few songs where every time I hear it, there's that one, two, three, ow, and like the whole thing explodes. 
every time I hear that, I can, in my head, imagine a live band. Right. This is like either the first song or the song, the first part of the encore. And you hear all the production going on, lights are off, and you get that one, two, three, ow, and it's like lights kick on, and right. it's just a stage filled with people like rocking out. Like, right. And it's so rare for a recording to give you that visual right out the gate. But right. like, I think that, that like it is one of the most commanding, like sending the song into hyperdrive yeah. moments. You, dude, you keep calling it a band, but I felt like I've always been under the impression that it was called New Radicals. And that was funny because it was just that one guy. I mean, it, I'm sure he had studio musicians okay. and stuff, but yeah, it, it was Greg. It was Greg Alexander. Like, yeah, yeah. I'll say band. I'm, I'm sure that if they toured, it wasn't just going to be Greg Alexander on a stool with a guitar. I only say that. <laughs> I only say that because I've all, that seems to be the one thing I don't know much about new radicals, but I was, uh, that was like the one thing I knew. I always knew it was like, Oh no, it's not a band. It's just that one guy. He just calls himself new radicals. Yeah. That's like the thing I knew about <laughs> new radicals. Yeah, it was uh, like a rapper. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was the new radical. Right. I gotta, I guess I gotta dig into this album. You've really hyped it up. I, I, after we're done recording, I'm going to play you the opening track. Cause I, I love the opening track. Nice. That's, that's what got me to buy the whole record. But, uh, because nice. I still buy physical media, as Chris knows, and everybody makes fun of me about. How many DVDs do you think you have? I already know because I keep a tally in wow. case... I, in I, case it, someone asks you this question on a podcast? No, in case... This was so dumb, but my friend told me this like 15 years ago, and I, I just assumed it was true. But he was like, you have a lot of DVDs. If there was ever a fire, you would probably want to have a list of everything for insurance purposes. Wow. So I have a running list. It is 3,500 DVDs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> do you have them all in the cases or do you have them in all in cases in bookshelves running across the entire basement wall alphabetized? <laughs> <laughs> I love how crazy you are. I learned a little bit more about how crazy you are every episode. <laughs> and what about CDs? CDs? I have more than DVDs. Wow. I think the CDs are probably like 6,000, but I don't have like, they're just in tubs right now right. because one you don't day, have a wall big enough. <laughs> no. Well, one day I want to. One day I would like the same way that people have like. So here's the thing. My grandfather was probably like the biggest influence in my life. And he had this basement. And I don't know what happened to these now. And it bums me out. But he had this basement where you walked into it. And it was like, I'm going to say, say your entire wall here was just record shelves mm -hmm. just a wall of records thousands upon thousands upon thousands of records right. and i would just stare at like i would just look and stare at the wall and like would just randomly if i was bored hanging out at his house would just like pull out a random record and just look read the back like re yeah. just because cool. i didn't because he he listened to like a lot of like new orleans jazz and and polka music and like all types of you know stuff that grandparents would listen to <laughs> in, right. in the 80s and 90s but I just would pull out, I pull out a record and look at it. I, that's he introduced me to so much of like the goofy music that I like. Nice. I have a cassette tape that he made me because I got into Weird Al Yankovic. Right. As any child does, the second Weird Al puts out a single and they're old enough to be cognizant of like yeah, music. Of course. <laughs> so like Amish Paradise came out, I was like, this guy's awesome. So first he made me a cassette of Frank Yan Frank Frankie Yankovic polkas, which I was not wow. into that much. But he he knew who Weird Al was enough to know that I like silly stuff. So he made me this cassette tape that is like Spike Jones and the City Slickers 
and um, Stan Freeberg and all of these guys who were like the cutting edge of comedy in the like 1920s. Like if you pull up a video of like Spike Jones and the City Slickers, it's the most insane thing you've ever seen. Hmm. Like it's this 20 piece orchestra where like one guy's instrument was the gun and he huh. just like would fire a gun in the air. But like it was all supposed to be wacky. It was these absurd things where they would take a beautiful song like you always hurt the one you love. Right. Which like thanks to Blue Valentine, like everybody knows that song, but they would cover it. And it was always the same structure, which was that they play the verse one time seriously and then all of a sudden chaos ensues. So it'd be like mm. just an acoustic guitar and someone singing it beautifully. And all of a sudden a bunch of gunshots go off and it's like banjos and trombones and tubas playing like this wacky ass weird song. And they're like purposely singing in a weird operatic voice over top of it. And it was just really bizarre music. And like that was my shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was nice. very invested in those tapes. Nice. So you had in it. You definitely. I had a collector's mentality yeah, from that. Yeah, yeah. You you saw that's that's a good story. That doesn't make me think you're so crazy anymore. That makes me think that's actually pretty sweet. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's actually really nice that you were influenced. Now, I I didn't really have that that in that influence of someone with a giant collection of anything. Yeah, I mean, I always give a lot of credit to my grandpa, and it, it's a it's a bummer. You know, we'll get real for a second. It's a it's a bummer because like my grandfather was the first person I ever lost in my life, mm-hmm. and he was like the f- also the, kind of the first person to be like, "You're a little different. I'm going to give you extra attention." Right. So like, it always bums me out that it's like I wasn't even old enough to drive, and like, man, my teenage years, I really could have used a person who was like, "You're a little different. I want to give you extra attention," because like teenage years were a struggle not having right like some type of guiding force during that time. Yeah. I just remember he had his, he had the basement filled with records and then he had his own little private music room. It was just like a little loft and you know, I didn't really hang out with my cousins that much. So he'd be like, Oh, come hang out in the music room. And he would either just be playing his banjo or he would like put on a record. He'd be like, I think you would really like this record. And he would like nice. play me a record. That's he had a great. little TV where he'd be like, you don't know Mel Brooks. Let me put on the young Frankenstein for you. Like, just nice. want it to share media. And I think that that's why it's funny when you like think about things when you were a kid and then you look back and it's like, well, of course I host a bunch of podcasts about obscure media because like I was raised on like this person who loved to share weird media with people. Right. And like, I want to do the same thing. I want to yeah. show people a weird TV show or a weird movie or tell them that the new radicals is the best band that they and never you know heard. what I would say about that man. You get what you can. Yeah. <laughs> Because they brought the thunder. Yeah. Will you give it to him? I'll give him the thunder. This is a great, <laughs> this is a great song. I'll dig deeper. This, this song definitely brings the thunder. Lo- looking back, didn't like it at the time. I, I, I'll give it a thunder. For, for your sake, yes. you, I'm not... I'm I had not, a lot riding on it, so yeah, I really appreciate yeah, I'm not, that. <laughs> I'm not going disagree, to disagree real hard with my producer, especially if he loves it this much. And we're, and we're talking, when we're talking uh, lovingly about your grandfather... <laughs> Uh, if, we, if we get to that point, well, I, that would be a real dick move of me to say this is a blunder. <laughs> I mean, if you did, I would just never release the episode. Yeah, so. yeah true. <laughs> All right, man. That was good. Learn your lesson. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophelios of the band's Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. 
Underneath me, you're hearing play off Punchline's Rewind EP. Visit punchline.com for more music and merch. Matt and Chris have a new company called We Know Podcasting. If you've always wanted to host a podcast but didn't know how to get started, wanted feedback on your current podcast, or just need someone to edit your shows, we're here to help. Visit weknowpodcasting.com for more information and rates. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week, I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.